Welcome to the Woe Podcast about horses and horsemanship. I'm your host, John Hare, and you've found the place where we talk all about horses. Some months back, well, many months back actually, a listener requested I talk to someone named Squatter Coffee. All I could find out about him was that he lives in Australia and offers bush rides. It sounds like Squatter is out near the middle of nowhere in Australia. Being the dutiful podcast host that I am, I wanted to honor the listener request if I could, and I contacted Squatter through Facebook. He's a busy, hardworking man, and with the time difference, his only opening was for me to call him at 3 a.m. my time. Now, I do a fair amount of research before each interview to try and come up with questions and interesting angles on the conversation. I couldn't find much on Squatter. To talk to someone at three in the morning who I didn't know and wasn't sure where the conversation would lead, well, it left me less than enthusiastic to schedule something. I told Squatter when his schedule eased up a bit, get a hold of me and we would arrange to talk. Many months later, Squatter drops me a line and tells me he's ready to go. We set up a reasonable time for both of us and I contact him, like always, through Skype. His side sounds muddled through my headphones. I can barely understand what he's saying. You know, I don't know what the heck is wrong with technology. After all, we are only 8,000 miles apart. Shouldn't the conversation be crystal clear? I really didn't think the interview would be any good until I listened to it and cleaned up the audio. To make a long story less long, Squatter is a fun guy to talk to. He's entertaining and knows a lot about horses. He's had an amazing life. I wish I were a better interviewer. I could have gotten a lot more great stories out of him. Oh well, you get what you can get. For now, please enjoy my conversation with Aussie horseman Squatter Coffee. Let's start at the the beginning, Squatter, and I was kind of curious how how you got the name Squatter. Uh, My dad was a stock agent in a little town and the, the bloke came with a uh, stock crate and he didn't know anybody's yards around the area so he'd pull up at the school and blow the horn and I'd go to the toilet and come back the next day and uh, it started off big squatter and little squatter and then I finished up squatter so it's not that interesting. What part of Australia exactly are you in? I know there's the top end and a bottom end and yep. quite a middle. Yep. I'm in Victoria up in the northwest and uh, over the back of me runs into well, there was 100,000 hectares burned out there and it never even touched the sides. There's millions and millions of acres of uh, desert country. Mm-hmm. And people sort of don't realise, they think Victoria's just a garden state. And you could ride for six days in one direction on your horse and then hit the sea over in South Australia. Wow. So there's a lot of wild country. There's a lot of country out there. I've, I've been out two and three days with pack horses, but you can't carry water, see. And, uh, and it's hard. You can't get a vehicle in to do a water drop. So it's hard to ride it, you know. If there's anyone if there's anyone over there intending to come out here, it's quite a good area. I've got the Grampians one side of me and the Murray River, an hour and a half each side of Grampians and the Murray River, and about four hours to the sea. Sounds like pretty rough country. Did you grow up there? I grew up about 40 uh, k's to the east of here, yes. And then I got married and come over and uh, started working on the grain silos for my in-laws and Anyway, I've been on my own now for... Thir- uh, I was married for 30 years and I've been on my own 15 years. And I trained racehorses for the first 20 years and then uh, shifted over into the trail riding. What kind of racehorses did you train? 
I trained uh, thoroughbred gallopers, yeah. Yeah, so I'm one of a big family. There was, uh, I'm one of 10, and actually seven of us had a trainer's license. So seven of us were at the races with horses. It's pretty unique, really. That is very unique. Uh, a little sibling rivalry going on yeah, there? Yeah, there was. There, quite, there was a lot, yeah. Take turns winning, or uh, what, did somebody dominate? No, no, everybody. <laughs> you don't take turns for them blokes. <laughs> everybody was after it. Yeah, we had uh, a couple of nephews jockeys, and the brother-in-law's a jockey, and uh, we've got farriers, we've got a, a stud master, we've got stable ends. The kids are all going through college and uni they're working in stables and that you know uh-huh. it's a pretty it's a pretty big uh, network my family and now you're working in the grain silos but you also have a trail riding business oh, i do the, the silos i work on the grain silos and i'm the longest in victoria 45 years i've been at work and then i do the weekends every night the horses are saddled and every weekend they're settled and uh, i start six weeks holiday on monday and i'll have uh, two groups a week for five weeks and then I'll try and do something. I'll go for a ride myself somewhere. You mentioned it was kind of chilly there now. Is it it's winter in Australia? Yeah, it, it's it's just the start of spring. It's the 30th and the start of spring just around the corner. So, uh, yeah, no, we're not far off. Of, we've had a couple of frosts and sunny days, but it's a, uh, overcast and going to get a bit of rain today. And yes. we're desperate for rain. Are you? Yeah. Where did you learn your horsemanship? Was your father a horseman? Yeah, yeah, my father, yeah, my father and my grandfather and his his brothers. The farm at home one of my cousins has got is the original coffee settlement. It's 150 years of settlement. They trapped wild horses up in the big swamp. I can ride in and show you there's a different barbed wire nailed across in trees and that to trap the horses and hold them. But they trapped horses in there to pay the, the first payments of their land till the crop come up. We started on horses with the settlement, you know. Where did those horses come from? Yeah, well, the first blokes went through the explorers and, and the first pastoralists and that. They lost horses. They lost horses and horses would get to each other. And can somebody see a nice mob somewhere and you couldn't catch them, but think, well, we'll whack a colt in there. And there was a lot of nice horses. The Australian Brumby, there's some beautiful horses. Mm-hmm. There was wild horses up where I ride in the 1960s. There was horses still living out there on soaks and natural pools and that. And there was water in the lake, so they were right there. And do you know if they're as numerous out there as they as the Mustangs are here in the United States? Yeah, they are. I do rides on Mount Kosciuszko, and you'll see horses all day long. You know, you'd see 80, 100 horses in a day, mostly in up to a dozen or might be 20 in a big mob. You can go and two hours to the west, east of me, along in the river, there's an area, a big Barmer forest, and there's wild horses in there, and uh, I've got mates go in and get one. They can catch them and... I wouldn't sort of bugger up a four or $5,000 horse to catch a $300 horse. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you know, you can stake them more, put a put in a hole. or As a young bloke, I did, but I slowed down a bit now. You did the racing thing for a while, and then yeah. did, uh-huh. did you always worked at the, the grain silos? Was there horse business in between there? Yeah, well, I left school, and I worked in four states before I was 17. I had... 36 jobs before I was 21. That's in four states up the east coast of Australia. Like out back in. Yeah, so I got around a bit droving and stock work and horse breaking and rodeo riding. And then you'd get broken, you'd be in on uh, building sites and trenching and digging, a lot of hard work, shearing, anything, pick fruit, anything to get by and get along, you know. 
What was the most exci- exciting time you had on the horse? Oh, probably driving. Yeah, making making a horse, making a dog, and making friends. You know, uh-huh. you can you can do it all on the same day. People pull up and have a yarn, and oh, we come from down at Colac or somewhere. If you're down around there, call in and see us and have a meal. And if you're looking for a bed or a yard for your horse, or you know, you meet people from everywhere. Oh, I've got more friends than ten folks. I bet. Yeah. Well, it's not like you've been around horses for a long time. I can never remember to learn to ride. I can never remember being out on a horse and being led. Or my first memories, I was going to school, but I was out staying at an uncle's place, and uh, we went away on horses and come back having a race home. And the uncle had bought in sheep and shut the house gate, which is a four foot iron gate, probably four foot four foot six. I come around the corner and the gate was shut and I didn't know what to do. So I give the horse a, the heels and he jumped it and that was it. I was a horse rider from then on. Wow. It was a, it was one of their horses. I didn't know if I could jump it or not. So uh, I was going to school, but I wouldn't know how how old. But I can never remember learning to ride. I could always ride a horse. And do you have your own horses or do, do people bring their own? Yeah, I've got 12 horses at my place and I'd probably have another 20 out with friends and relatives, you know. As I was saying, we're in a big horse family. And a lot of kids right. go into the racing stables. And to get your kid to ride, to be a fair rider, you keep changing the horses around. So mm-hmm. a lot of horses circulate around my family. Go from They might be at Swan Hill. They might be at Witchy Proof, uh, Birchip. And then other kids, will, they're ready to change over. We do big family camps. We took in uh, 22 horses and I think we fed 70 people the first night. And that's all me and my brother and a couple of nephews and then just friends, you know, mostly kids. And the kids go home with a different horse and we swap them around, you know. It's a pretty unique setup, my family. Yeah, that is. That's, I've talked to people about this. It's it's kind of hard to learn to become a good rider if you're just riding the same horse all the time, right? Yeah, you see it time and time again. The mum will buy them a real good horse. And a good horse sometimes makes a poor rider because they don't have to ride them. But, see, we all learn to ride on buggers of horses, handovers from everywhere and, like, I never owned a horse till I was 18, but I never had a day that I didn't ride. Our yard was full of everybody's mongrels, you know? And we were all, was eight brothers, and we were all uh, rodeo riders, so it helped a bit. But to kids, to get a kid to be a fair rider, it's a, you want to change the horse pretty regular. Are you training horses and people now, or mostly just people? Mostly people. I, I buy a young horse every now and then and make it to fit into the rides, but, and we have to do a lot of work on them. But mostly people, kids, I put through a lot of apprentice jockeys and things, kids that are going working in the racehorse industry come and have a weekend with me. They can ride a bit, another two weekends, and they can ride work. What do you think the the hardest thing for people in general to learn about horses and horsemanship? Yeah, well, just getting somewhere like my show, just to get somewhere where you can have a weekend and you can try, look, you can try six, eight horses. We can just keep saddling them and I've got a riding arena. And then there's a dry creek and there's a, a weird-off creek. You can ride for 800 metres in water, you know. Wow. Take, kids out, take kids out and do that. They've never rode a horse in water. And you can give them a swim down one end of it, you know. Uh-huh. To get to somewhere where you can push yourself as far as you want to. You know, a lot of women, they have their babies. They don't ride again. Then they've got a teenage daughter and they want to ride. And we could remember them riding with us like boys. But they're that timid in the house, if anything happens to the woman, the, the whole show stops. The dad can break his leg, and the dad's sitting there with his leg broken, but the food goes on the table. And but if it's a mum, so she's pretty, she's pretty tight and tender. You know, she's pretty, 
Well, you can tell the look on their face. Their, their jaws clamped and, yeah, I'm all right. And they're nodding, but they're not. So you just mix them around until they find a horse and, and I can look over at their face and I can, it tells me that they're right. Yeah. It's a pretty hard thing. They've got to push themselves and take themselves out of their safety area. But, but to get to somewhere where you can do it, and it's not many places now. Do you have Australian stock horses? Yeah, I have a mix. I've got, I like a bit of, bit of quarter horse, but I don't sort of like the full-blooded ones that much. You know, the purebreds? I don't like a purebred. I'm sorry, the wait a minute. Back up a little bit. The purebred quarter horse or the purebred stock horse? Oh, any of them. I like a mix in them. The quarter horse and the Clydesdale's a good cross. I've got a few of them. I've got a couple of purebred quarter horses, but, you know, they're, they're nice horses. I've got some really nice horses. I've got to have horses that people can ride, you know. All right. My horse, my main horse I ride, I've never had a horse like him. He, he just goes anywhere I aim him and he'll jump anything. I, I jump forks of trees, I jump an iron gate, or he'll just jump, jump anything I aim him at, you know. People have never seen somebody that rides like that over the things and, he just drops off of sand hill straight out, walks out in midair and just drops to the bottom. He, he knows how much ticker I've got and I know how much he's got, you know. That's a good team right there. Yeah, it's pretty unique. It, you, you know, people don't have it. People don't have it with their horse. Do you do mostly trail rides? Yeah, yeah. I have people come in and stay with me and mm-hmm. we load up and we ride it somewhere on Saturday in a different place on Sunday rather than camping them over there. I was doing four-day camps feeding them and their horses and everything. And it's pretty hard to organise a bloke on his own. So uh, I've set up my place. There's six double beds, three singles, and there's rooms for people to sleep in swags and on the floor. And, yeah, they enjoy it. We've got a big fire pit, and they keep coming back anyway. The same people have been coming back from Adelaide and Melbourne and all over Victoria. We've got people from Sydney coming in Tuesday. Oh, great. What are some of your favourite stories that you like to tell? Oh, uh, well, I've got a name my name for each bush and shrub and that out in the yeah, in the bush where we ride. And uh, I was riding along one day and a couple of blokes behind me, I had six six fellows with me and they're all farmers and all very knowledgeable in their in their farming and uh, they knew the Latin name of each weed, you know? Mm-hmm. And I said that one of, one of the blokes, I was at the front with two young fellows and there was three older blokes coming along behind me. The young bloke said, you're in trouble today because these blokes know more than you know. I said, don't worry about me. I said, when we get up to this corner where we turn, there's a little purple bush growing there, and I've never seen it before. I don't know where it come from or what the story is. Anyway, we get up to the corner, and I said, Rightio, boys, I'll hold your horses if you blokes want to have a look under the bush. This is a South African fire ant bush. And he lays down, and he, he, uh, he's got glue on his back, and he rolls on the seat of this bush, and he carts it around. There's not, I don't know where, where there's any others, but and then he drops the, the seat off and spins the wheels over it and covers it, and that's how this bush has germinated around the country. And I had three grown blokes crawling around under the bush looking for the ant. <laughs> yeah. About a week later, I go in one pub south of here and the bloke says, so who are you? And I said, I'm squatter. He said, hang on a second, hang on. I'll go and get my brother. And he goes out to the kitchen, he brings his brother in. He said, this is a South African fire ant bush bloke. <laughs> yeah, so I like to take the piss out of people, you know. Drop them down a notch a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what's a typical ride like? I mean, besides uh, having them get off to look at flowers. <laughs> no, look, uh, people want to see there's big sand drifts out there and the sand, the hills rolled in. There's 80 foot of trees underneath the bottom of the sand. There's just the leaves sticking out the top. This big wall of sand's rolled over and uh, a lot of Aboriginal sign you'll see 
canoe trees where they've cut the bark and made a canoe to get out on the lake. And I find a lot of Aboriginal axe head stones and things on, you sort of know where they camped and where they hung around. And you go back the next time the wind blew it out and exposed a few more different bones and rocks. And yeah, a lot of people and kids like that. Then there's a lot of pioneer graves out there. And I've got a fair bit of the history on each pallet. And there's a lady and a child buried in one. Uh, and then the others are all just single blokes. But, you know, people, they like the history. They like the settlement of the country. Like it's only a young country, Australia. So, you know, you can be talking about you can be talking about somebody's great grandfather. Give us an example of one of the pioneers that have, is buried out there. What would his story be? Yeah, well, there's two blokes buried on two two uh, sand rises, like bits of hills, and two brothers jumped ship in Port Phillip Bay off a uh, off a ship, and they were walking cross country to you know to get out of being uh, reprimanded and brought back to the ship. And they went into a wine shanty at Little River out of near Geelong. And they were talking to a bloke and he said, get down in, into uh, the western district of Victoria and learn to shear. And two years later, they walked into the homestead at Albuquerque, which is very remote. And here's the bloke that served them in the wine shanty and he recognised them and they finished up lifelong friends. Mm-hmm. The bloke who did the serving, his name's John Coprick. And on his grave, which is out there, it's a a little mesh uh, steel fence and that around this grave and a lonely sort of a spot. It's got, he lies an honest man. And I took a group in there one time and I said, uh, you know, that's what I'd like on mine because I can deal horses, but I can't deal them any horses that are no good. I just say they're no good. <laughs> and I've, I never make any money out of them, you know. And there was kids with me that day and it went around and that's what they'll be putting on mine. So, and the other fella, George Everard, he was buried over further. And his people came two generations later and dug him up and put him in a family pot in Ballarat. And then further up, another 100 k's up, real wild country, Pine Plains, this George Everard and his brother John and another dog trapper, they were having Christmas together there. They hadn't seen each other for two years. And they were drinking wine. And one bloke said, if I jump in the well, which was a timbered sort of a uh, underground well, do you reckon you'd get me out? They couldn't get him out. So he's buried there and beside the well. Oh, my. yeah, the two brothers and the and the bloke, they've all been buried along there, you know. And people, people just like stories like that, you know. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. I kind of picked yeah. up on the the fact that you said a, a dog hunter, they're hunting. Yeah, there's wild dogs out here. Out where I ride, we've seen a big yellow one on Saturday. And uh, ah. they come in, the people, they run sheep there, but they have uh, alpacas they put in with the sheep to keep the foxes out, but the Alpacas are too timid for the dogs. So they run donkeys and mules. They're really scarce and hard to get hold of because there's a bit of a run on them against the sand country where the dogs are bad. But there'd be 20 donkeys over there in, in 100 k's. So uh, the donkeys keep the wild dogs. They'll, they'll bloody kill one, you know. And the mule Is that right? A, a mule will kill a cougar in America. A mule will kill a bloke. So uh, there's people breeding. I tried to breed mules here, but I didn't have any luck. I had eight thoroughbred mares running with two mules, two donkeys, and uh, I didn't have any luck. Some people got a Shetland foal in foal to one, but, yeah, so I was wanting the mules for pack horses. It sounds like it's pretty wild country where you yeah. where you take these folks. Do you see another, any other kind of wildlife? Yeah, there's, there's uh, goats. There's an old domestic pig going out there, and he lives there. I see his uh, manure, and I see his footprints up and down on the lake. I might uh-huh. see him 20 k's. 20, 30 k's from the last time. Uh, there's a few deer. A bloke got a big deer out there the other day. Oh, kangaroos by the score, emus, uh, foxes, the wild dogs. 
echidnas. We don't have wombats. There was a koala bear out there one time in some big white trees. I've seen him a few times, but I've never seen him again. Mm. I've seen a quoll. They're a little spotted uh, marsupial. They're, they're really rare, but I've seen one of them. Yeah, that, no, there's different things. A lot of nice birds, parrots and eagles and hawks. And There's a, there's a bird called a mallyfowl. Mm-hmm. They have a big mound and the incubator, they scrape in all the leaf matter and sticks and they lay their eggs and then bury them and the heat of the, the uh, you know, the wet leaves and that, that hatches the chicks and they crawl out. They crawl out through the dirt. They're, that's incredible. If you look them up on uh, Google them and have a look at that. What are they called again? Mallyfowl. Yeah. There's one area there. It was burnt out and they won't go back into that area for 25 years till the leaf matter builds up again. Do you get a lot of nature photographers then on your rides? Yeah, yeah, I do. A lot of people like taking good photos, you know. Like mm-hmm. if I took out a decent photographer, I've, my photos on my uh, spot of coffee bush trail riding side and I've got another one, Lend Coffee. If you have a look at those photos, you'll see a lot of the type of country. So you're, go- you're getting ready to take six weeks off from your grain silo work and you're going to be leading rides every day? Yeah. Well... I'll be doing two big rides, two groups a week. They'll come in for two days each. And then uh-huh. then uh, I'll be just working horses. If there's nobody there, I just saddle horses and ride. And uh, people will ring and say, you're going riding. What time are you going riding Thursday? I'll have one saddle be there. And they'll drive up an hour from Horsham or uh, an hour from the other way. Or Around here in the pubs, a lot of backpacker kids. There's German girls. There's English. There's Swiss. There's uh, Austrian. I've had riders mm-hmm. from 17 countries, which is it's pretty incredible where I live. I'm four and a half hours up from Melbourne, and it's uh, pretty incredible, really. Yeah, that is amazing. Well, you know, we have a, a following in Australia. We've done several shows on camp drafting. We've done yep. a couple of shows on the Australian stock horses. And yep. some of our m- most popular shows are downloaded the most in Australia. So if somebody wants to contact you about a ride or training or horses yep. or anything yeah, uh, yeah where can we send them you can tell them to uh, get on on facebook and look up squatter coffee bush trail rides or 0428 and they'll get me i really appreciate you taking a, a few minutes out of your busy day to come on yeah. the Wolf podcast yeah. and share some of your life about you yeah no that, i've enjoyed it and uh look if you're coming over if you're coming to australia You could come with me. I've got good accommodation for guests and get on to me. That's on our bucket list. Good on you, mate. Thanks a lot. Have a great day. Same to you. Catch you later. That'll do it for another show. Thanks to Squatter for carving out time to have a conversation. I think it would be cool to take one of his trips and hear about the early Aussie pioneers and to see some of the unique areas in Victoria. A trip down under is definitely on our to-do list. You can find all the links to the show at woepodcast.com. You can find past episodes there too. The Woe Podcast is on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and anywhere else you might find your podcast. Click subscribe and you'll never miss an episode. If you'd like to support the show, I've set up a Patreon page and you can donate as much or as little as you like. The Woe Podcast is produced, edited, and managed solely by us, John and Renee. If you have time and you like the show, a review of the podcast on iTunes or wherever would really help us out. If you have an idea for a show, 
and they'll be coming out about once a month now. Drop me a line at john at woepodcast.com and let me know who you would like to hear from. Thanks again for listening and sharing the show with your friends and writing buddies. And until next time, for Renee, this is John Hare saying, go have some fun with your horses. Bye-bye, everybody. Shouldn't the conversation be crystal?